Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show. What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Some congratulations are in order for CJ because uh, over the weekend, he found his way onto the SDPN Discord. Congratulations, buddy. It was good to see you enchanting the fans and engaging them all weekend. What was it like uh, before we get into uh, the Chris Johnston show today? What was it like interacting with all the fans uh, on the Steve Dangle Podcast Network uh, Discord? It was cool. I, I guess for some reason they want to know if I like pickles or not. And based on my answer that I do like pickles, that seemed to get people going. Um, so I'm still finding my way on the Discord universe, but uh, it's cool that people are are that interested uh, and, and are hanging out in there and I'll, I'll be back. I'll jump in from time to time and, you know, just, just say hi and, and see what's going on. Yeah, man. A lot of people are very receptive. If uh, you listening at home are interested in uh, seeing what all the fuss is about on discord, you can go to the SDPN website, click on the discord link and you'll add yourself to the discord. There are like thousands of uh, SDP fans there. Not only are they just fans of the Steve Dangle podcast, they'll be talking about the Chris Johnston show and game over the brand new show from Andrew Berkshire that premieres this week. We have a jam packed show for you on this holiday Monday. Uh, We have some some questions uh, from you all that have been sent out uh, with the Ask CJ hashtag. We'll get to those before the end of the show. We have to start with some news that's kind of come down over the wire earlier today, uh, and that is that Austin Matthews of the Toronto Maple Leafs, he won't be available for at least the first three games of the regular season as he continues to recover uh, from that nagging wrist injury. He had surgery for it in the offseason, but he's still uh, just on the men, just trying to get back into action. Uh, if I remember in the offseason, he said he was a bit optimistic about starting for the uh, season opener on Wednesday against the Toronto Maple. Uh, sorry, against the Montreal Canadiens. I was just curious, was there any snag in that recovery? Is there any reason why he needs a bit more time? My sense is this isn't maybe any reason to have any great concern. Um, you know, I, I think all along, as much as Austin publicly had been saying that he wanted to play on opening night, you know, that was a a target of his, you know, I think that there was an understanding from both his side of things and the Leafs that this possibility existed that, you know, it might just get to this stage and, and he wouldn't feel comfortable enough going into it. And let's face it, this is an 82 game season. Um, You know, he's, he had injury wrist issues last year. and, And I think that, the priority is on having him as healthy as possible throughout the year. And, you know, if you go back to August, you know, he, he ramped up his skating when he was in Arizona. Uh, he started to feel some discomfort then. That's when the decision was made for him to go through surgery. You know, he was supposed to be in the splint after surgery for six weeks. Um, you know, he got that off one or two days early, uh, but he's still only been shooting pucks for about two and a half weeks now. And, and you know, every other NHL player that's been healthy has you know, been ramping it up in August. They, they had full camps in September. You know, they're into their third month almost of, of you know, what you would call normal action with, with shooting and handling the puck. And so, you know, I think that they're being extra cautious here. I don't think there's any huge alarm bells at this point in time, but, you know, he's been probably the one of the, the fastest starters in the league the last number of years. You know, a couple, you know, he's had some big opening nights, of course, but then he's, you know, had a few Octobers where he had 10 goals in 10 games type of thing. And so, you know, the fact that uh, he's, he's going to miss at least three games to start and perhaps more, you know, certainly will be a storyline in Toronto. 
Oh, absolutely. Especially if it goes beyond those three games and it ends up being maybe another week at that. But you do bring up a really excellent point. Like this is going to be the first time in quite some time we're going to be going through an 82 game season. And considering how the Toronto Maple Leafs look like if, if they are without Austin Matthews to start off the year for let's say if it's a let's say it's like five games, for example, say he needs two more games after the three. It shouldn't be the end of the world, considering what this roster looks like, considering what this division looks like. If we're talking about a whole month or something like that, then it gets a little bit more dicey. But I'm with you on the fact that people should at least kind of calm down. I don't, I haven't taken the temperature of uh, Maple Leafs fans when it comes to uh, how they're processing this Austin Matthews injury news. But this shouldn't be that. I don't want to say it's not that big of a deal, but we should calm down on the level of panic when it comes to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, and he missed five games, I believe it was last season, and he, you know, won the goal scoring title by eight. So, um, you know, I think that there's there's enough proof in the pudding that he'll still have a, an opportunity to big impact if he's healthy. And, you know, really, you you want him to be finishing the year on on a high. I mean, in a perfect world, of course, he's starting. You know, Sidney Crosby actually had a similar wrist procedure done in September, so later than than Austin. Uh, you know, he's going to miss at least the the first Penguins game and probably the first couple at minimum. I mean. I think the teams are taking the, the big picture view with their stars because if you, if you rush it back, if there's any sort of re-aggravation or issue, I mean that then you're into deeper problems than you know whether you you miss one or two or three games out of the out of the gate. Really interesting start to the year, considering that Matthews isn't going to be around for the first few games. Crosby's not going to be available. We all know about Carey Price, and we talked about that on the last episode of this show. Uh, I know Alexander Ovechkin picked up an injury in the last preseason game. Uh, I don't know what it's that. December minimum, maybe June two. Like it's a bit weird to see some of the league's biggest stars out for various different reasons uh, and also at different lengths as well to start off the year. I can't think of any other year where you've had all this talent, not to say that there isn't any other talent not available to start off the year, but I can't think of any other year where we've had all these like high profile names uh, not available to start off the season. Well, look, you know, it's partially coincidence, of course, but it's also a short off season. You know, it, it's a another year where the, there wasn't as much time between the last game played and the first game played. And so, you know, there is less recovery time, you know, and of getting Malkin's position, he had surgery in June. So um, he was going to be missing a bunch of time anyway. But, you know, with with Matthews and Crosby not really you know, addressing their issues to later in the summer, that that's taken them into the start of the season where they, they're unavailable. So. You know, I, I do think it's partially in a long-winded way, sort of a COVID issue because the league has had to jam a couple shorter off-seasons together. You know, next year, free agency is meant to be July 13th. The Stanley Cup's meant to be handed out no later than June 30th. So we're getting closer and closer back to what the previous schedule was uh, before COVID turned everything upside down. And so that should give uh, longer off-seasons for, for players to get healed up. Uh, any other news and notes on Austin Matthews before we go from that to some of the other news and notes we want to get to on this week's episode? Well, today's episode, not this week's episode. Excuse me. I misspoke. All good. Uh, no, I think that, <laughs> that pretty much covers it. You know, I, as I say, it's it's uh, you know, a situation that bears watching when you're talking about arguably the best pure shooter in the league. The way he comes back, even when he does play matters, you know, coming off a of wrist surgery. Can he shoot the puck in the same way? I mean, that, that's obviously his biggest individual weapon uh, when you look at his skill set. And so this this will sort of be an evolving storyline. But I do think um, this this isn't a sign that anything bad happened. It's more just to, it didn't heal up as quickly as they hoped. And they're taking a cautious approach. Does he get 40 again this time in a full 82 game season? He got 40 on a bum wrist last year. Maybe oh, yeah. he cracks 50 this year. 
he's going to get 50. I mean, look, if you look at his last two seasons, he basically had 50. You know, when, when the COVID pause hit, I believe he was at 47 goals with like 13 games left, give or take. Uh, so that was going to be a 50 year. It was a prorated 50 year. And then last year was 41 goals in 51 or 52 games. So that was a prorated 60 year. Um, you know, we don't know about health. And obviously, you know, this is a player that's missed some time uh, with various injuries through his career. But, you know, I, I think if he plays 70 games, he's getting to 50 goals. That's that's not a bad uh, tally for anybody, especially if you're Austin Matthews. I want to talk about Jack Eichel as well. I feel like we've all tried to talk about Jack Eichel throughout much of the summer. Is there any new development on whether or not he'll be able to leave Buffalo and or get the surgery or just anything on Jack Eichel? Because it just seems as if it's just been the same status quo for the better part of the last few months. Well, from a public standpoint, I guess not a lot's changed. But what's happening behind the scenes is changing a little bit. And and certainly there's more NHL teams that have been able to to get additional medical info on, on Jack Eichel's situation to get more comfortable with the possibility of the district replacement surgery that he'd like to pursue. I mean, look, any team that trades for him is going to have to be comfortable with him going through the procedure that the Sabres doctors don't want him to have. I think that that's, you know, kind of self-evident. And, you know, I, I don't know how this will go down in terms of timing, but I think ideally the trade happens and then he goes through the surgery, you know, with the, the, the blessing of that team's doctors. And, you know, there's a component now where the Sabres have acknowledged in their trade talks that they're willing to attach sort of conditions on the picks, depending on how he performs afterwards, how many games he can play, you know, those types of things. And so it's not the, the ask, I guess, is, is changing a little bit or shifted a bit from the summer where they were looking for four hard premium assets. You know, now I think that there's an understanding on the Sabres end that, that, you know, any team making this trade is taking on a little bit of risk too, uh, just because there's uncertainty uh, with the player's health. And so, you know, I, I don't have, uh, we don't have a screaming headline to report on the situation, but there are definitely teams involved. I, you know, I do know of a team that saw that medical info and they weren't comfortable with them doing the disc replacement surgery. Uh, at least that was a recommendation from their doctors. There are other teams that are, I think, more comfortable with them doing that. And so, you know, let's hope that this helps bring about a resolution. But, you know, I don't think anything's imminent, um, but there's, there's certainly been more dialogue uh, between other teams and the Sabres and then obviously Jack Eichel's camp on, on what his recovery might look like. The Sabres themselves, they don't have any type of like internal deadline or timeline on, on ideally when they try to offload Jack Eichel. Well, probably yesterday would be the, the best timeline for them, if being <laughs> honest. I mean, just because, you know, look, this is a rebuilding organization. He's a premium player, even if it's not quite as good of a return as it w- could have been in July, potentially. I mean, it's still probably going to you know, be something that that's attractive to them. I, I think the issue is now that we're into the season, they don't really control the situation entirely, right? I mean, um, the other teams that might have to give up two or three or four assets in this deal aren't feeling the pressure to do so because they're bringing on a player that, you know, is, is probably, you know, if once he goes through his disc replacement surgery, going to be potentially three months uh, before he can play. I mean, it's hard to, to say for certain, but certainly not, you know, someone that would be having a, you'd be acquiring with the hope that he's having a major impact on this season. So, you know, I, I do think that's kind of, where it's at, you don't have that deadline. Sometimes you need a deadline, I think, to get um, a, a deal across the finish line, whether that's a contract negotiation or a trade. Um, and that's why I, I still have, of the personal belief that it wouldn't surprise me to see this drag on a little bit longer. But, you know, I, I, probably the positive development here for me, Julian, is that I, I think that there's a good working relationship between Jack Eichel's agents, the Sabres, these other teams. I mean, I think that there's an understanding that 
finding a resolution is best for all the parties involved. And, and so they continue to work towards that, uh, you know, at this time. Um, you don't have to go into details as to who might be interested, but I'm just curious about what the interest is like in Jack Eichel compared to what it might have been like in the summer. If you have any in term in depth, like knowledge on what it was like in the summer when teams were interested in him compared to what we're seeing now. It's, it's slightly diminished, uh, which isn't a comment on the player. And obviously, the, you know, the player had the same injury in the summer as he has right now. I think it's more because of cap decisions that have been made. You know, you, you look at a team like the Minnesota Wild, you know, they certainly had interest in Jack Eichel. You know, it's just not a trade that they can consider making at this point in time, not after paying Kaprizov, you know, going through the buyouts as they did for Suter and Parise and, and some of the other financial decisions they made. They gave Kevin Fiala a new contract. You know, I think that that they're just not in a position right now where they could pull the trigger on that move. But, you know, if we could rewind it back to July 10th, you know, they hadn't made all those decisions yet. And so they, they you know, maybe we're, we're looking to see the fit. You know, the New York Rangers signed Mika Zibanejad to an eight-year extension over the weekend. You know, I, I think that that should all but end the, the Jack Eichel talk um, with New York. And so, you know, you have a few teams in those situations you know, I still keep an eye on a team like the Anaheim Ducks, who I think are kind of laying in the weeds. I don't get the sense that they're out trying to to, to make this trade happen right now. But, I, you know, I think that they're a team certainly with interest here. You know, I think the Calgary Flames are keeping tabs on things. You know, there's a few others, you know, whispers of other teams that are around. And so, you know, there is still interest, but it's it's not at the level it was in the summer because in the summer, a lot of teams hadn't made other commitments. Right. And, and so, you know, the, the beauty is if this does actually extend in the next off season, which, you know, I, I recognize is challenging is, but then you might open up the door to some new teams that we're not even on our radar right now that aren't too engaged in these discussions. Cause you know, maybe once it gets to next May and the team's had a big first round loss or is looking at maybe allowing some players to walk out the doors, unrestricted free agents, maybe they uh, get into this, this sweepstakes. And so I think the pool of teams, interested kind of grows and, and shrinks based on the circumstances. And right now in season or it just at the, the start of the season, it's just not as many teams that I, th- I think are truly, you know, having this as a front burner issue. And if the pool of teams increase is say next off season, I mean, just thinking in my mind, that would make sense that the asking price might go up with it. Right. That's at least how I would see it. Well, it depends if there's a bidding war, you know, that's what it comes down to. And, you know, we all know if there's a real deadline here, it's July 1st or July 13th, I guess would be because the the shift of free agency, but, you know, July 13th in this case is when, you know, Jack Eichel's no movement clause kicks in, you know, it's not to say you can't make a deal beyond that deadline, but certainly I think it gets more challenging. And obviously the player has some say then, and, and what happens, I think it, it makes it so that if it gets on the other side of July 13th, maybe the Sabres can't optimize them as a trade asset. And so, you know, the hope is whenever it comes to making this trade is that you have multiple parties bidding and and you can pit them against each other. It's no different than, you know, in Toronto here uh, where I live, there's there's a lot of, you know, sales pressure on houses because, you know, a lot of people are trying to buy houses and you hope that 20 people show up with bids. You know, I think that's that's how you get the most out of them. But, you know, the market will give up at what it will at a certain time. And I'm certain right now, if the, if this trade was completed next week, it would be for less than we would have expected last summer. Um, but that doesn't mean they've lost it entirely because there is, there's certainly a universe, I suppose, where this goes forward and, and you get more teams in the mix and, and are pushing for them. But, um, you know, let's, let's hope, I, I think I've said this before, but that Jack Eichel can get the treatment he needs. Cause you know, it doesn't sound like a very pleasant injury. And I know he's, he's been in some discomfort. 
Uh, I want to piggyback off a question that was asked in your Inside the NHL column, which can be read in the Toronto Star. And again, we will get to questions that uh, CJ could not even get to for that column because it was... I was flooded, man. Dude, it was insane. I was looking at your mentions. I was like, wow, like there are so many people who took advantage of that hashtag. And yeah, man, keep those coming. I was like the guy who forgot his homework because this is the first one I've done. (laughs) Yeah, You know, I had to file that to to my editors on Sunday afternoon or early evening. And I was like, it was Saturday. And I was like, oh man, I forgot to ask for questions because we discussed having a section where, you know, I, I take reader questions every week. So, you know, you're throwing it out there Saturday of a long weekend, nice weather, didn't know what I get, but man, there was a lot of response and that's awesome. I hope everyone keeps it coming. I'm, I'm going to certainly do it regularly in, in the column that I'm writing that's running in the Toronto star. And then, you know, obviously we'll, we'll take some spill over here if, if there continues to be that level of interest, because, you know, we want to connect with, with the people that, you know, what, what they want to, not just what we think is important. Definitely. And I can say this, not only did we get questions on Twitter, we got questions on Discord as well. But again, we'll get to those before the end of this episode. The, the one question I want wanted- Discord question is, yes, I like pickles. Well, there you go. Uh, but the pickles. question I... Yes. The question I wanted to piggyback off from the column uh, pertains to Jack Eichel and that artificial disc surgery. What And I forget the name of the person who sent it. My apologies to them. But what's stopping Jack Eichel from just saying, you know what? I know this surgery is good for me. Let me just get it and just be done with it. What's stopping him from just defying the Sabres? Well, in short, he could be in breach of his contract for doing so. You know, there's two things that apply here. First is the collective bargaining agreement that the NHL has reached with the players is is quite clear on the matter that teams have the final say on these types of treatments. Uh, And so that would be him acting beyond his team, of course, if he just went and got the surgery he prefers when their doctors aren't recommending it. You know, the second part is every contract a player signs is actually called a standard player contract or SPC. And so the clauses in those deals are all the same. You know, what's different, of course, is if they're signing bonuses or what you're paid versus what I'm paid. But there are standard clauses. And in paragraphs four and five of the standard player contract, you know, it, it makes it quite clear that if a player does something like that and is unable to perform his services, I believe it's called, or duties uh, of his job, you know, he could be found in breach. So in that case, you know, the Sabres could elect to suspend him without pay. They could potentially even terminate his contract. You know, that might lead to to some kind of a grievance that, that the PA has. But, you know, it, I think it's pretty clear that it would be a difficult case for him to win, uh, that he had the right to do that, uh, especially if he were to get that surgery and not come out of it able to play hockey. Uh, and, you know, right now he's still being paid. And so, you know, it's it's really just about protecting himself financially, um, because when a player is injured in the NHL, he, he gets paid, uh, which is a great, great part of the system because, you know, this is a very difficult sport. Players do get injured. And in Jack Eichel's case, he's got 50 million bucks left in five years on his deal. That's a lot of money to jeopardize, even as tempting as it might be to just want to go and get the procedure he wants done. Yeah, he's pretty much just kind of stuck in Buffalo until Buffalo says, all right, you can get the surgery or they just offload him to someone else who will be willing to take on that risk. It's not the easiest situation in the world, but I guess $50 million can at least help alleviate some pain. Maybe, sort of. I'm not sure. I'm never going to touch $50 million over my life. I don't know. You know what? I shouldn't say that. Who knows? I was gonna say, Maybe not with that attitude you want. That's very fair. What if what if we both win the lottery and we win like 100 million, we split like that's very fair. That's something that could happen. I shouldn't put that in existence. Um, One other thing I want to put into existence is talk about Brady Kachuk, because as we approach the start of the National Hockey League season, he still uh, is not with a new contract. It's 
strange. I feel like almost every single episode we've done, if not every single episode, the majority of them, we've touched off on these negotiations. Um, what can you tell us about what's going on now? Well, let's keep it short because this is a very fluid situation at this stage. But, you know, as of when we're recording late Monday afternoon, it doesn't seem as though there's been any type of breakthrough or movement in, in the negotiations. You know, I, I do think that that literally could change at this stage with one phone call. I mean, both sides know Ottawa's first game is Thursday night. Uh, in a perfect world, you're completing this contract probably long before now, but you're completing it in time to get Brady Kachuk to at least have a chance to, to play on opening night and, and be with this team for the start of the season. You know, what I'll be very interested in is if they get to Thursday and there's no deal, um, because this is a, this is a real deadline. I mean, it, as of, you know, even basically Tuesday, Wednesday, I mean, he's, he's missing money that he'll, he'll never get back, um, you know, by, by not being under contract during the season, you know, the listeners might not realize, but, but players only get paid during the regular season. So um, this year it's actually a 200 day regular season, but, you know, basically every day, if you look at it of the year, a player is earning, you know, a 200th of his paycheck of his total salary for that year. And, you know, day one, uh, you know, starts this week. So uh, if Brady Kachuk misses day one and day two and day three, he won't be paid for those days. Um, and so, yeah, I, I could see both sides digging in at that point. I think it, it, it gets to really dangerous territory if, if he starts missing games, because I, I do think that it's harder to see a resolution then, but you know, there's still time to work this out and, and get him back and even play in game one. And so I'll leave it at that because anything I say will quickly be dated. Yes, that's entirely possible. Uh, yeah, I, I'm still of the belief that Brady Kachuk will sign before the regular season starts. But uh, yeah, if it gets to a point where he starts missing regular season games, that could get very dicey. And with yeah, that, then with December clear, 1st yeah. is your next deadline, right? December nope. 1st is the day a player has to sign to, to play in that season. And so, yeah, it's risky if it gets beyond uh, game one of the regular season for the same. Yeah, and, I'm, and I mean, nope, as in like you do not want, if you're an Ottawa Senators fan, you do not want it to get to that point. Uh, I believe we have cleared all of the NHL news that we want to talk about for today's episode. And with that, we can get to some of these reader questions that have come through Twitter and on Discord. You ready? Uh, Again, I did not show any of these questions to CJ. He willingly wanted to be surprised at the questions that were coming in. I admire the fact that you don't want to be, you want to be surprised for this. Like I admire that fact because I feel like I would have wanted to at least get a gander of what I'm going into. Well, if I don't know something, I'll let you know. I won't make it up. But, uh, you know, I, 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 you don't want it to be rehearsed. It's almost we want to imagine our, our listeners like they're they're part of a, a live show here and they just they're the ones tossing it at me. You're just their conduit uh, reading it to me. All right. Let's start with a question from Discord. Boop Master Ben. How do you see the central playing out? I know CJ predicted Colorado to win the division, but at least one good team will miss the playoff from that division. The Metro will probably be that way, too. Yeah, I mean, the Central, to me, is the strongest division in the league, you know, entering the season. Um, you know, we could be surprised, but as as I look at the sort of preseason power rankings, you know, having a Colorado in there, having a Minnesota team that's, that's on the rise, you know, I, I think Winnipeg actually is a team, to me, that isn't getting much attention, but wouldn't surprise me at all to see them have a strong season. I like some of the moves they made to, to strengthen their blue line. And, you know, they already had a strong forward group and a, a goaltender in Connor Hellebuck that's, you know, can be the best in the world when he's at his best or certainly within the top two or three in that conversation. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a very competitive division. Whereas, you know, I look at the Metro that the, the reader's pointing out, 
there's, there's good teams there, but I see nothing but question marks, you know, like Pittsburgh has made the playoffs for 15 straight years. I, this might be the end of that run, you know, Washington, Me too, I see that Washington's getting older, uh, you know, kind of just petered out last season, late in the year. Like, I, I don't know what they've got, you know, the Rangers, I think we're all expecting to be a little bit better, but you know, there's, there's still question marks there. I mean, the Islanders are probably, you know, based on making the, the conference final in consecutive years that they're, they're going to be, I'm, I'm confident a playoff team and certainly a good, good team, in that division. I like Carolina, uh, Philadelphia. I don't know what to expect. I mean, last year was such a, an off year, but they, they, you know, they traded a lot of bodies out of town to try to shake up the mix there. So I, I, I agree that a good team will miss the playoffs in each of those divisions, but in the Metro, I just don't know who the good teams are hundred percent. You know, I think that this could be a year certainly where teams like Pittsburgh might go from being a very good team to maybe just an average team. Um, although you would have lost a lot of money over the years making that prediction. So <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll, let it, we'll let it play out because they have had such an amazing run, but you know, they've just got an aging core and not a lot of cap flexibility and they're dealing with injuries and, you know, I could just, it, it does seem like they're, they're on the wrong side of it right now. And so, um, yeah, this is this is going to be a really fascinating season on a number of fronts. But uh, you know, I, I expect Colorado to to win the division and the cup, mostly just because I think that they're, they're probably as motivated as anyone to to get over the hump and and also have the, the talent to sort of match the motivation and urgency that their group will be feeling. Over the weekend, I did an exercise for myself and I went through every division and I said, okay, how do I see them all lining up? Here's how I have the central: Colorado number one. Winnipeg, number two, Minnesota, number three, Chicago at four, and then Dallas, St. Louis, Nashville, and Arizona. I think you might be sleeping on the blues a little bit there. That's fair. But also on the Steve Dangle podcast, uh, they also were very like down on the blues this year. I, I, I'm not ready to write the blues off yet. Like I, I, I would have the blues above Chicago for sure. Um, but that, that's, I mean, look, it, it speaks to the, the, the question here. I don't, I'm not sure how much consistency we'd find if it, you know, you pulled a bunch of hockey fans or media people or whatever, like us, Julian on that, that listing, um, you know, Dallas is interesting too. Like last year, I know it was a total disaster. They dealt with COVID right out of the gate. They had like 17 cases at the start of the season. They had power outages at delayed games. You know, they had a really crappy schedule. Yeah. Uh, snowstorm. Yeah. Like I, my point is, I'm willing to say that last season might be an aberration just because of some of the things they had to deal with. And I could see them getting back to being a very difficult team to play against too. And so, you know, what, what a great division it'll be though. It should be fun to watch all those teams go against each other. And then of course you got to come through to the first two rounds of them just to get to the conference final. Um, you know, that, that's, that's going to be a tough path for, for Colorado to have to traverse if they're going to make good on my Stanley cup pick. You know what's actually going to be really good about that division and pretty much every other single division in the National Hockey League this year? The teams in our respective markets will have games against them and we won't be stuck going through a whole year where we're only seeing Canadian teams. Thank the Lord I don't have to watch Montreal-Toronto 20 times this year like what we got last year. It was a lot. And it was a it lot was for a lot. every team. You know, it's funny. I was at the player media tour uh, with Jason Dickinson, who's you know now a member of the Vancouver Canucks, but last year he was in Dallas, and he said he felt like every other game they were playing Chicago. He just said like for whatever reason, <laughs> it just felt like, and he said like they got rid of their games with Nashville early in the year, and then they just didn't see them again. Like it was a strange season in every division for that reason. You know, obviously brought on by the circumstances. I don't mind. I wouldn't mind if they found a way to get more of an imbalance so that you have more games in division. 
Um, but there is something special about every team going to every building um, each year because, you know, I, I can tell you, there's you're going to want to see the Seattle Kraken play your team if you're a fan this year. You're going to want to see, you know, hopefully Sidney Crosby's back sooner than later. You're going to want to see him come through your building. You're obviously Connor McDavid. You know, they they get to see him a lot in, in the western part of of the the, the country and the uh, the continent. But you know, if you're a Devils fan, you want to see that game. So, um, you know, I, I like I like getting back to what was gone on before because it, you know, I do think it's not, it's better for the league to to have everyone in every building every year. Yeah, absolutely. The list can go on as well. Nathan McKinnon and his merry men in Colorado. I can't wait to see a game between them and the Canadians this year just to be at the Bell Center. I don't know if they have that on the schedule. I would imagine they might. Maybe they don't. But I would like to just watch those two teams play against each other. Just the list could go on with that. Let me go to the next question. Another one from Discord. Uh, this one is from George. This one's a little bit more fun. If you guys could have one current NHL player join your podcast full time as a third contributor, who? And why? Wow. That's a really good question. Like, because right, you got to first decide what you want from the player, essentially. Yeah. Like, do we want to have a funny man? Uh, do we want to have, you know, like a guy that I always really appreciated, for example, is Jason Spezza. He's just a great gregarious guy at the media, but he probably watches about as much hockey as even uh, any hockey player does. He, he's the sort of guy who can tell you, he can really break down other players and just his experience. So do you want that guy or do you want someone you know, a younger star for the, the glitz of it. I don't know. What do you, where are you leaning there, Julian? Like PK Supan comes to mind because of the flash, the name, the way he's been on, on his own podcast and other media properties as well. Um, it'd be cool if we got like, it doesn't necessarily have to be a young guy for me. It could easily just be like a, an older guy near the end of his career who's just seen so much. Uh, one guy who I liked, I don't know if he's still active in the NHL anymore, but when he was on NBC, he was really good. Uh, Corey Schneider. I thought he was he provided a lot of interesting perspective when he was doing his uh, – I forget one year he was with the NBC team during the postseason, but he, I thought he was really good. Yeah, Corey's um, a smart guy. Did a lot of work with NHLPA. Do you know who I – actually, I've got my pick. It's going to be yeah. Drew Doughty. And really, why? Okay, Drew, I want to know why. He's got zero shits given to start. So clearly, he he is unafraid to tell it like it is. I find I'm largely entertained whenever I see him speaking into a microphone. And what he would give us that we don't have right now is a West Coast presence. And I know it really sticks in Drew's you know craw that he doesn't think enough of us Easterners are watching what's happening in those West Coast games. So he could give us a little bit of the perspective from the other side of the continent, and I think he would be a lot of fun to, to team up with. And depending on what he might say, too, uh, if it rubs some other team the wrong way, they might use it as bulletin board material when they go on their playoff run. I forget which team did that, but there was at least one Vegas. team that did that with. Yes, that's the team. The Vegas Golden Knights did that with yeah. trade, Drew, with your doubting. Uh, next question. Uh, from Fled, Ed, and Eddie. I'm telling you, we got a lot of Discord questions here. For CJ, how do you square the life of an insider with taking some time for yourself? With hockey breaking news being possible all hours of the day, every day, it seems like you would be perpetually on call. I, I don't square it very well, if I'm being honest. I mean, I'm coming at you right now from Thanksgiving dinner. I'm, I'm upstairs in the spare bedroom at my in-laws house. So, um, you know, and, and my family's downstairs and, and we're recording this and this is just typical. It's not to, to call it this podcast. You know, I think anyone who wants to do something well has to make some sacrifices. You know, one of them for me is, is time, you know, just free time, I guess. I don't really have a lot of free time. 
you know, I'm working on weekends. We're working at nights when, when games are happening or when we're in studio. Um, but the beauty is it doesn't feel like work. And so that's why the summer is so important. And as much as I know it becomes a bit of a, a meme on the, the social medias when you, when you see some of the, the insiders saying, oh, I'm going to the cottage or whatever. You know, I do think that time is important because when you're on 24 seven, you know, and, and honestly, that's one thing that made the pandemic hard is we didn't really get a break. Like yeah. we went, we went almost for like two straight years there um, because uh, there just wasn't time off. And when the pandemic initially hit, we were still reporting on what the league's plans were. And then, you know, we rolled into the summer bubble and we had the draft last year in October and free agency. And then seasons going again and started January you know, you won't hear me complain about it, but since you've asked about it, the truth is there's just not a lot of free time. You need to have a lot of understanding from the people you care about um, in order to make that work. And, you know, personally, I like it because I doesn't, doesn't feel like I'm working, uh, but I do recognize it's, it's an unusual, it's an unusual work setup. Although, you know, I've got to think in other industries, Julian, I don't know about your buddies, like where they're working, but you know, I think with everyone working from home now so often, like I do think that the borders of work have changed a little bit. And so maybe it more what we might call day-to-day jobs are, are taking on the look of what mine is. But, uh, you know, I don't get too far without this phone here. Basically, it's uh, it's attached to my hip. Is that an Android phone? It is, but I got a Google Pixel. Android gang, let's yes, go. Sir. Tired of this Android phone slander from I'm all- whoever... Whoever wants to say on the Steve Dangle podcast, who cares? We have Androids. They work. Yes. And I'm, I'm always like the one annoying guy in the group chats that doesn't have the iPhone. So I'm, I'm going to just stick to that. I'm good with that. And let me tell you one big reason why I have no problem being an Android guy and the guy who spoils the iPhone group chats being the green bubble. When you go out in winters and it gets to minus 20, I don't want to have to worry about my phone dying because it can't handle the code of uh, the cold, unlike an iPhone, which was built in California and isn't ready to deal with these Quebec winters. So good luck with your iPhone dying on you at like minus 50. I also I felt good because I, I did have iPhones back in the day and I felt like I was like I was being held hostage by the whole cloud situation and everything. And, you know, I, it, it felt good to break free from that. And, and man, there's some darn good Android phones. So. Uh, I'm, I'm sticking with the Android for the foreseeable future. Absolutely. I want everyone listening to free yourself from the fact that it's only iPhone or nothing. And also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts. We really We might have just that. alienated a huge chunk of our audience with that one. Okay. Well, I mean, they're still going to come back. I don't think it was that bad. Famous last words. Uh, Paul Campbell on Twitter, uh, way to go, Paul, talks a lot about goaltending, yeah. uh, has this question for you. Could you review any special roster provisions for COVID this season? Doing it for both vaccinated and unvaccinated players would be very useful. Thanks. Hashtag ask CJ. Sorry, Paul, because I didn't do my research on this one. And so I don't have a complete answer. Um, You know, I do know that in the CBA or in the, the transition rules that were agreed upon just a week or two ago, there, there is contemplated in there the possibility they'll bring back taxi squads if needed. Um, you know, as the season's starting right now, in fact, we're basically talking, Julian, when uh, teams have to file their, their cap compliant opening day roster, um, you know, it's, it's like the old days, 23 person maximum roster, uh, $81.5 million salary cap, you know, basically all the old rules apply. There's no special provisions, but I think if the COVID situation, if, if the league's dealing with outbreaks, you know, you could see a return to taxi squad, which, which the NHL used last year which were players that didn't count against the cap. Um, 
travel with the team. Um, so that's, that's a possibility, you know, when it comes to vaccinated versus unvaccinated players should review this document. Cause I saw his question in my queue and I, and I just meant to look it all up, but you know, I know, for example, you know, unvaccinated players can't go out on the road, can't be around teammates, have to wear a mask everywhere, have to do their interviews even in a mask. So that's one reason you'll always know who is unvaccinated is if they're talking to reporters with a mask on, it's it's a tell. And if those players um, miss time due to COVID unvaccinated, I believe they can be suspended without pay. Uh, meaning, you know, if you have a COVID related absence or, or if you, you know, can't travel into Canada, like Tyler Bertuzzi, for example, who's mm-hmm. spoken to reporters in Detroit about his choice not to be vaccinated. You know, there's nine games as of now, unless uh, he changes his position on that, where he can't come into Canada and play road games uh, because of the the quarantine uh, rules that, that the government has in place. So, you know, he, he won't be paid for those days is my understanding, but, you know, I don't have a total view of, of that answer. Cause I, I didn't dive into the notes, but uh, I'll look it up and be sure to, to be fresh on that uh, in the future. I will tell you what, though, for someone who says that they weren't well researched on it, I think you still gave a pretty good answer. I think the taxi squad thing, like I, I didn't realize that they were going to continue doing that. And I think that's a pretty big deal. Only if they need it. So, yeah, like we're not starting with a taxi squad, but it's it's written in the rules that basically the players and the league acknowledge that it might be required at some point. And, and so that could be something that exists. And you know, I think that that was good for a lot of players. I mean, for. I'm sure it was a long season for, for guys who didn't get to play much, but you do get to be up with the team and to, to skate with them. You're getting the NHL per diem. You're around the, the group. And, and, you know, obviously some of those players did find themselves into games. Um, but, you know, as it is right now, th- those, those players that run taxi squads are in the American Hockey League right now riding the buses again. Mm-hmm. Uh, next question. I'm actually intrigued for your perspective on this because I've been asked this a lot and I don't have any intel and I just think it's a weird situation. So I'm actually in, I'm actually very curious about yours. Uh, this is from cheering the logo on Twitter three times nominated for GM of the year in nine years, bringing his team to the Stanley Cup finals a few months ago. Hard to imagine that salary is the sticky point for Jeff Molson to bring back Mark Bergman. What's really going on there? Backlash from the MyU selection? Other, what do you think? I think it's salary, frankly, and and probably term of that contract. I mean, it, it's sort of like any deal that isn't done. It's it's figuring out what the, the numbers are. You know, I think that that's really what's holding it up. You know, it's my belief that Mark Bergerman would be willing to stay for a period of time. But, you know, he's been there a long time. It's I think it's about a decade, if I'm not mistaken, Julian. So, yeah, since um, 2012. You know, I'm not sure he's a, in a position where you'd see him signing a five or six year extension. I, I could see him you know, wind up for something a little shorter, you know, obviously get a raise given some of the credentials that, that you mentioned in the question. And, you know, they, they haven't been able to do that. And, and let's face it, he, he's in a completely unique situation uh, because, you know, he's, he's coaching a team where, you know, the French language is, or sorry, he's the GM of a team in which the French language issue is an issue. You know, I, I've talked to some people in Montreal. I know that think, the GM shouldn't have to speak French because, you know, GM, GM, unlike a coach, isn't speaking to reporters really all that regularly as it is, but certainly not every day. Um, you know, I, I don't know how the fan base feels about that, but the organization clearly has largely opted for French speaking general managers. And so there's not a huge pool of qualified people, especially with Julian Brisebois getting his extension done in Tampa, that you would say if Mark Bergevin left Montreal, you know, who would be the next GM? I, I don't think there's an obvious answer. It's not to say there are no candidates. But there's there's probably not a, a, a huge pool there, and so it's a unique negotiation because 
Mark, of course, would understand that. Jeff Molson would understand that. And so to get him signed, you might have to pay a bit of a premium, not only for his accomplishments, but also because of, you know, the way he fits into that job. And so, you know, I, it's too soon to say he's definitely gone. I think it, it points to him leaving after the season, but, you know, there, that's still 250 days from now. You know, let's let this play out a little bit more. I, I'm not I'm not 100% convinced he's out the door. I don't think he'll be there long-term just because it's a really demanding job uh, to do it in a city like Montreal because of the two languages, because of the intense focus on the team. And so, you know, I, I think there's there's room for a short-term deal to get get sorted out. It just uh, didn't materialize before the season, and they're, they've decided to put it off until uh, the offseason. I, I think that being a general manager of the Montreal Canadiens is the hardest job you could have of all 32 teams in the National Hockey League. I understand the media pressure that comes to anyone in Toronto. If you have that job as GM, considering their position in, in sports and what have you, but in Montreal, you have to deal with the Anglo and the Francophone media and that intense pressure on you being in a market where it's not so much that it's a sports market. It's, it's clearly it's the Canadians and then everything else just kind of falls by the wayside. So I also can understand why some media members might feel that a general manager in the city might also have to be French speaking. I don't necessarily think it has to be, but I think if I were to hear out from some other media members, I'm not going to act as if I know every single one that agree on that point or not, but I would be willing to hear them out on why that person would have to be French speaking. But it is interesting that the issue of salary keeps coming up because I would think that after the run that he had, if the Canadians wanted to keep him, you know, I didn't think it would that be that big of an issue unless for some reason, and this is just me talking here. What if Mark Bergevin wanted more money than what Julian Breezeball is getting out in Tampa Bay? And this is a guy who's just coming off back-to-back Stanley Cup championships. And if it wasn't for him extending with the Tampa Bay Lightning, Jeff Molson should be making his way down to Tampa trying to get him. Right. And I don't know if it has to be more money, but I think it's got to be something in that vicinity. You know, Julian, I believe, got somewhere around $4.5 million uh, on his his extension. And so, again, it doesn't have to be that exact dollar figure, I don't think. But, you know, look, Mark Bergevin would like a raise. You know, I think he's, he, I mean, I, everyone has the right to ask for that. And let's not, let's not totally divorce ourselves from the wider situation going on here. This has not been a time when NHL franchises have been collecting much money. And nope. you no, know, we saw the Canadians play in a Stanley cup final with a building that was whatever, 10% full or whatever it was. Um, you know, they, they missed out on a revenue opportunity there uh, because of COVID. And so, you know, it's a tough time to be giving anybody a raise when the cash flow hasn't been where you'd like it to be in the past. And so, you know, I'm not saying they can't afford it, but I think it's a little tougher financial decision uh, given some of the uncertainty over this coming year. You know, obviously in Canada, the buildings are starting full, but, you know, I think there's an understanding if there's COVID outbreaks or something that that might not last all year long. And so there's a lot of different dynamics at the table here, but I do think a lot of them revolve around the financial piece. Absolutely. Next question here from World Hockey RPT on Twitter. And if you like Bitcoin, you're going to love this question. Why is Ethereum better than Bitcoin? It's not. I'm not it's even pretty straightforward. I'm not even going to entertain that. I mean, he's referring <laughs> an answer that I just don't agree with. I think, you know, I think Bitcoin is the best base level asset in the world right now. I think it's, it's everyone listening to this podcast should be finding a way to acquire some and hold some and, and watch um, as our lives get shifted around. I'll tell you this much. I can't name name yet because I haven't asked for privilege, but there's definitely some NHL players that are big Bitcoiners. There's at least one NHL head coach 
that's looking to get paid in Bitcoin. Um, what? Yeah. Look at there's guys in the NFL, Russell Otang, that, that, that are getting paid in Bitcoin. Uh, I believe Saquon Barkley is getting some of his salary in Bitcoin. You know, we're going to see a massive paradigm shift. And I actually believe sports will be part of it because athletes in particular have a unique problem. They, they make a lot of money for a period of their, their life, but it's a small period of their life generally that, you know, that they don't have extended long careers. And, and Bitcoin is the best way to protect against inflation in the world. And, you know, I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see more and more of this. And, you know, at some point I want to jump in and write a hockey and Bitcoin story, you know, once some of these individuals are willing to talk publicly and not just privately about, uh, about that particular asset. Uh, maybe when we get off this call, you should tell me about how does one acquire some of this here Bitcoin. Anyway, we should be selling uh, sponsorships in it. I'll tell you that much. Give us a call. Give our people a call. Call at us. I don't want to uh, sell. I don't want to sell like sugary water or something that's going to make you fat. I want to sell something that's going to change your life. Yeah, you, you're not interested in doing any of these manscaped ads. Uh, I'm, I'm leaving those to you. Although they did send me some product. Oh, okay. All right. I haven't Good tested it out. I don't know if that's too too uh, personal to say, but um, I did get the I did get the welcome pack. I got a shirt and uh, some of some of the various product that that company's offering. Call at us, Manscaped. Anyway, uh, last question from Bogues. It's spelled B-E-U-G-S. It could be bugs. It could be Bogues. It could be bugs. I, I don't know. Uh, how much success do you think the Toronto Maple Leafs need to have this season in order to consider it a win? They got to win a playoff round. You know, I know it's an yeah. obvious answer, but it matters. Like, it's it's time to have that happen, or I do think that that there will be change brought to them. I'm, I'm not saying Kyle Dubas or even Brendan Shanahan necessarily share that opinion. You know, I think that they would would argue, you know, process over results at times. And, and you know, if they have it another season, let's say they win the Atlantic division and they play a great series and somehow lose again. Like, I get that they might still believe in the program, but, you know, I, the, the pressure in the front ownership and from the fans would be, Tremendous, I think, for, for some degree of change there. And so I think to ease some of the pressure and also just to you know, remove the doubts, they got to win a playoff round. I mean, anyone who watched the All or Nothing series, like to me, of that whole four hours, one of the most interesting things was Paul McLean, who last year was like a, a veteran coaching um, consultant with, with their coaching group between game six and seven is in a coach's meeting, you know, that's not to the public. And he's like, these guys have fucking demons they are under their fucking cars they are in their fucking beds, fucking demons. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Like it, it was sorry for the F bombs. Maybe Jesse could, <laughs> uh, but, but it was just like, he, you know, I, I only repeat them because it, it just showed that how much he really believed it, you know, how much that, that the view from inside the room was that they had to sort of slay some, some mental demons and they obviously were unable to do so. I think to, to move forward, they have to at least do that. And, and realistically, they're a team that I still think should be aiming to try to win a Stanley Cup this year. Like it's, if things break their way, I don't think it's impossible. But, you know, until they win one round, I mean, let's not even go there. Yeah. One thing about the Leafs, just to follow up on that, I was surprised that Sheldon Keith got that extension that he did in the offseason because I would have thought that this year is the all or nothing scenario. The Leafs have to do well or everyone moves out. But the extension to me, even though it is short, I think it's only like two years. Two years, yeah. Like it, that kind of tells me that like, okay, even if everything kind of goes to shit in Toronto, Sheldon Keith might be able to still keep his job. Do you still see it that way? Or, or how do you view it? 
I think so. They just didn't want that to be a story. They, they're, they're looking to remove any distraction ahead of time that they can. I mean, there's still going to be distractions. It's pro sports. Morgan Riley's in a contract year. That's going to keep getting brought up at various points. I mean, you can't eliminate every distraction, but I think that that was an easy one to address. And, you know, if you look at the Leafs under Sheldon Keep, two things stand out to me. I don't have his record in front of me, but I know he was the fastest coach in franchise history. To, to He had the most number of wins for his first 100 games coaching a team of anybody in history, you know, mm-hmm. 100-year-old franchise. And they've made sizable gains in the defensive side of the puck since he took over. Last year, the Leafs were, were sixth best in the league at preventing shots against. And if you go back to even three, four years prior to that, when they were a playoff team and they were getting 100 points, I mean, it was a lot more risky the way they were doing it. They, you know, they were like 29th in the league at allowing shots against and chances against. And so, you know, I think that they've shown great growth under the coach. Again, I'm not making apologies for you know the playoffs going as they did. But, you know, I, I think that this is a coach that will probably be safe unless it's a total disaster. And, and who knows? I mean, that's that's why we get to watch these games and, and you know, see how things go. But if they, they have a good regular season, you know, I still think he's keeping his job unless there's some dereliction of duty in the playoffs. But, you know, I, th- we're talking about a guy that's done nothing but win everywhere he's been. And so I think that they were comfortable with that extension because it removes the question. And they, I just think that they think he's the best guy for the job right now. And that's going to do it for all these questions that we had for you. I, I think we're going to be doing the Ask CJ segment a lot more often, at least every Monday, because that's going to be in line with uh, your inside the NHL column, which can be read on the Toronto Star. New rule, though. No more Ethereum questions. Like next time you see Ethereum, like I don't even want to entertain it. Okay. Bitcoin all right. is a the- protocol and Ethereum is an application. Like Bitcoin is the base layer thing it's it's what i mean i'm not i'm not saying anyone out there can make their own investment decisions but to even infer that one is better than the other the the questioner there had it backwards we had questions asking for predictions we had questions about mark bergevin we had questions about roster provisions for covid but the question that really flusters cj is about ethereum I don't even know what that is, but I'm going to be eating Thanksgiving dinner in like 20 minutes. And then that question will still be rattling through my brain. (laughs) (laughs) I hope your in-laws have uh, Bitcoin as well. And uh, I guess that goes for everyone listening to this podcast. Another episode of the CJ show in the books. We will be back on Thursday. Their second podcast of the week. You know, we're coming at you Mondays and Thursdays. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, the SDPN YouTube channel. And yeah, just keep consuming our content. We may or may not have an update on merch. And I'm just going to leave it there because we may or may not have an update coming on merch for the CJ show. I'm just going to be a little bit vague about that. For CJ, I'm Julian saying so long. Hopefully you enjoyed your weekend of thanks and we'll be back on Thursday. Peace. Thankful for you, pal. I'm thankful for you too. And everyone else at the Steve Dangle Podcast Network. The Chris Johnston Show. Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at ReporterChris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie.